0: That's probably the most complicated problem when you deal with industries. They have some expectations and they don't really know how to word it. I would like to improve myself. That's something very general. But how that can be achieved, that's very difficult.
1: Hello there, this is Milena, and welcome to another episode of Retail Mavericks podcast. This episode is a part of our academia focus series, and for these episodes, I will be joined by my colleague and co-host, Dr. Álvaro Flores.
2: In this series, we're going to bring to you the most interesting and relevant research areas and the academics behind them. At Highbury, we are passionate about bringing new thinking, ideas, and technology to life. We believe this can help change attitudes, lives, and ultimately the world.
1: This podcast is proudly sponsored by Hivory. Hivory is the pioneer in hyperlocal retailing by combining artificial intelligence, operations research, and human-centered design models. Hivory's suite of products helps CPGs and retailers generate a return on physical retail space investment. And today, it is my great pleasure to introduce Dr. Felipe Maldonado. In September 2019, Felipe graduated with his doctorate degree from the School of Computer Science at the Australian National University. During his four years there, Felipe has worked in the Computational Media Lab and was also a part of CSIRO Data61. Since October 2019, Felipe has been working as a postdoctoral researcher at the Technical University of Munich in the Decision Sciences and Systems at the Department of Informatics. So without any further ado, we'll kick this episode off with Felipe discussing the questions he wanted to investigate during his PhD.
0: So the motivation for my research were online markets, such as Amazon, Netflix, or iTunes. And the main research questions I wanted to answer were related to understanding consumer choice in those markets. Particularly focusing on some key features uh, that they have. So, namely, the way products are displayed, which ones, and which order. So the technical terms for these are assortment and ranking of the essential, respectively. The Assortment, you select a couple of products and you can display. And the ranking optimizations is the way to choosing how to display them. A list of uh, products, or you can have a grid. I was also interested on in understanding the effect of the previous purchases have over new consumers. Sometimes during this podcast, I will call this social influence. And the way the information is transmitted to the consumer is sometimes called a social signal. So for instance, you can have the number of downloads or five-star rating. So, for instance, if you go to Amazon, you can check that how many stars a product has and the type of reviews and how many of them are available. Based on that information, your purchasing decision might be affected. So you can have, for instance, a few products in some range of prices and you might buy a more expensive one because of the many people have liked it. You have a lot of recommendation for a particular one. During my PhD, I wanted to quantify that, and to do that, I developed some discrete choice models that represented that many features present in this kind of market with a special focus on social influence.
1: And you have already touched upon the question that I'm about to ask, but I would like for you to elaborate on why should the society and industries care about this area of research?
0: I think it was in 2011 that Mark Andreessen, the co-founder of Netscape, wrote a very influential article in the Wall Street Journal titled, Why Software is Eating the World. He addresses many structural changes from the 2000 to 2010 based on the effect of these big tech companies such as Google and Facebook, how much they change the way that we see the world. Actually, it's difficult to think about a world without Google nowadays. He also predicted that in the following years, those changes will continue. And that's something that we have seen. So in the almost 10 years from that article, we can clearly see how many startups are driving the global economy. We have typical examples such as Airbnb and Uber that have disrupted fairly all in established markets, and in this case, taxis and hotels, respectively. We also see that some companies fail to adapt to those changes. Typical example in this case is Blockbuster. A key element of both traditional markets and this new type of market is the need for an accurate demand prediction. In order to do that, we need to really understand how these different markets work. The type of products that they have, we can have the products such as TV shows in the case of Netflix, or we can have physical products, like a soft drink in the website of a supermarket. So the way transactions are made are also important the extra information consumers have when they make the decision is also important, and which are the alternatives. In this area of research, we try to do that. So developing models that characterize the consumer behavior based on this market structure. As these markets are everywhere, this is a fairly important research question for the whole society. Mm -hmm.
1: Felipe, can you share some examples with our audience of current inefficiencies that your research helps to address?
0: Social influences sometimes look in a negative way. Without proper control, it can easily create a rich-gets-richer effect. One alternative takes pretty much the whole market. This notion has been influenced by a famous study from 2006, an experiment called the Music Lab, which is something similar to iTunes, where people can see different songs, try them, and then give evaluation of them. New people can see the effect of preview customers, and the main conclusion from these experiments were that the social influence actually creates chaotic environments in online market. so essentially, depending on your initial conditions, the market can evolve completely different in many different settings. Many other research has been supporting this idea, but in practice we actually see the opposite effect. Social influence is a good thing when you have an online environment. When you go to Amazon, you use the information that previous customers give you. You base your decision on price and of course how much do you need the product. But the opinion of previous customers is very helpful to make the final decision. My approach in this case was trying to design market conditions that allowed, allowed all the products to have enough time to be seen, check their quality and then let the market evolve driven by quality instead of popularity. The way to do it is try to control how social influence is spread throughout this online environment, modifying what I call the social signals. Showing a five-star rating, number of downloads is an alternative, but there can be something else. Case of inefficiencies were the case of eBay many years ago. They used to use a social signal based on the number of purchases. But that led some to some issues related to that many of these high sellers actually had bad products. They were cheap and many people bought them. But we had again this effect that they were very popular and therefore new customers uh, tried and bought these same products, creating this effect. eBay decided to modify this setting and actually displaying the percentage of positive transactions over the total. And that changed the behavior. So essentially, if you have Sales that had a lot of purchases, but most of them are bad, then the new customers are going to learn from that.
1: So to this point, we have talked specifically about online markets, but how does this ultimately relate to physical retail markets? How can your research be applied there?
0: The beauty of mathematical modeling is that models can be adapted fairly easily to one environment to the other one. You just need to give an interpretation of what your parameters are and assumptions are. All the model techniques I have used for online environment also could work in a retail environment, particularly in a problem like a self-optimization. We have those some extra constraints. So, in the case of the physical market, we have a limited amount of products that we can store in the warehouse and the storage facility. While in the case of online markets such as Netflix, you have unlimited supply. We can try to connect the way model for online environment work in an offline environment. In the case of shelf optimization, we could use as a social signal the remaining amount of products that are in a particular shelf. That will indicate to the new consumers that, okay, this product is sold very often. Or you can include these clearing ads saying that these are the last product available. That's going to be a social signal for the new customer. Ranking optimization is fairly simple in this case. The way you arrange your product in a horizontal or vertical way in the shelf, the assortment optimization is again fairly simple in this case because it's the amount of your alternatives you have to select a couple of them to display. As I said before, you have a limited supply. There's a trade-off between how much you can store and how much of those products you need. Again, everything comes back to very important key questions in this research area, which is that having a good demand prediction. If I understand my customers, then I can select the best product to have on a store, and then I can use that information to boost myself.
1: So what findings and conclusions did you come to?
0: So as I said before, my starting point was the music lab and the related literature. Most of them claim that the social influence had a more negative effect over the markets, which from the real experience is something strange. For example, I always check what previous consumers have said about products that I want to buy, or my decisions are affected by how many stars a product has. There's a natural advantage of those systems. However, it needs to be properly defined to work well. The example of eBay was one of them. So they have one way to do it they noticed that that was leading to inefficiencies and they, they changed it. That's why I got into some market design features. So finding the correct signals that allowed a more stable evolution of the market, if that's the goal, avoiding a of some alternatives and more predictable outcome at the end.
1: And lastly, before I hand the mic over to Alvaro, Can you share some examples of real-world applications that your findings help address? You did mention it throughout our conversation, but I just want to make it a bit clearer.
0: As I said before, mathematical modeling is fairly flexible. You could take a model that's been applied to medicine and then adapt it accordingly to your settings in the case of retail. Most of my research were focused on online market for a very particular reason. They move very fast and you can accumulate a lot of data. So that's the main goal. And you can have many people from many different places buying products at the same time. However, all these models can be related to more offline environment as well, or a mixed environment like supermarket that can have both online store and offline store. In that case, the applications for my model will go into the demand prediction, establishing understanding very well what are the features of a particular market and then driving conclusions about how much demand I'm going to have over one particular product. And that can change over time. And then I can include more features. I can have seasonality, for instance. Nobody thought that we will have a shortage of toilet paper. But we had. So <laughs> that's something that can be included in a model fairly easy, just including some extra options.
2: So I've been eager to ask a few questions. And I think maybe the first one that makes sense is understanding that the mats are flexible and everything, why do you think users behave this way? Like you put an example of the toilet paper, and that's a really hard social signal that moves users to behave crazily, I guess. So why do you think that users react so strongly to uncontrolled social signals? Yeah,
0: that's something very strange. And that happened in many other type of markets. So a stock market is probably the, the more clear example that you can have. Anything that can happen in the society can affect the behavior. So I, I think nobody expected that we will have a shortage of toilet paper or that so many people are going to start making bread. In Germany, we also have some shortage of uh, gist. There were too many people making bread. Including all those conditions into a model is fairly difficult. So you usually try to capture more global behavior in that case. Just trying to represent what you can measure over time. You can have a particular behavior within a month, and then you say, okay, probably next month is going to be similar, the weather is going to be different, so we may include something else. Choice modeling is a super complicated problem in, in that sense, because you can add as many complexities as you want, but you may end up in a very hard problem to solve. Depending on how often you want to solve that problem, that also going to lead you to choose one choice model or another one.
2: What other alternatives are to capture customer behavior and how do you choose among those alternatives? And I think that you already tap into a little bit of the answer.
0: Yeah. Most of my research, were, we were using a model called multinomial logic model. This has been fairly used for many, many years in different type of settings, transportation, marketing, retail environment as well. He has some really nice features in the sense that provides analytical solutions so you can work very well with it. But it has some problems as well. It doesn't really represent many choice behavior that you may want to do it. You can have more general descriptive models that do that. They focus on that particular choice behavior, but they can have some drawbacks as well. They can be more computational complex Again, if you want to solve something very quickly, you may end up with a very difficult problem to solve. All their alternatives, which are data-driven models, which are very famous nowadays, you don't really make any assumptions of the choice behavior in that case. You just observe, measure, and react, which is a very nice feature in those cases. But you need to be careful as well, because you need to really understand what's going on behind that there may be a lot of noise in in those environments that you need to be taking into account as well. There are also mixed methods, mixing a traditional discrete choice model with a data-driven approach as well. Typical examples on those cases are the reinforcement learning methods. So essentially, you have a set of alternatives that you can choose from. You take one, you measure the effect of that, and then you feed back to your, your decision. So the next day, you may do something different. That can incorporate very well data into the choice model.
2: And maybe this is more of a question for mathematicians to enjoy, but what was the most relevant piece of math that you learned along the way in your journey on your PhD?
0: So I've been always focusing on application. That's not for everyone. Not all the mathematicians are going to think the same. Some of them prefer something more pure. But in my case, it was application. So all the revenue management techniques and methods were really interesting to me. So using math to try to describe real phenomena or trying to predict demand in one case, decide the best prices according to some criteria, understanding the trade-off between efficiency and optimality, is something super relevant in my case, how fast you can compute a solution and how close to the optimal it is. That's something that I really appreciate doing my studies.
2: That's great. To close the section on on your findings, what do you think are the advantages of implementing what you learned in your PhD?
0: So in terms of my results, I would say that my approach provides some theoretical evidence that suggests some specific market design. We can choose the correct ranking, we can choose the social signal that would lead to more stable outcomes. This would be particularly useful in cold start problems. So when you have very little information regarding the consumer preference over a set of products. You are launching a new product. You are tackling a new market. This kind of modeling can help a lot to describe what are the more important features of that market. Then you can use that information and choose something else. But this is a very good approach for the um, early stages of a market. Naturally, you are able to gather enough transaction information. You can improve your decision, meaning that my method works best as a complementary decisions. I can mix it with some data-driven model and definitely improve the performance. Probably, my findings tackle more the early stages of a market.
2: What? further avenues of progress do you think there are within reach after understanding this problem?
0: As I briefly mentioned before, I'm really interested in the opportunities associated to mixed approaches. I had one bachelor student here at uh, the Technical University of Munich, and we were trying to use uh, the script model for um, the website Wish. And they have so many features there this very difficult to fit a model and a discrete choice model in there. At the end, we tried, but our prediction were way off. The approach in that case was trying to mix it, select with a data-driven approach, the most promising features, and then trying to fit that into a choice model. And then our prediction were way better. I think this is uh, a really nice opportunity of these mixed approaches, on the one hand, this theoretical discrete model provides you some baseline that you can say, I cannot go worse than this, but data-driven approaches give you perspective that you may not be included at, at the beginning. So probably that's where I will lead my research from now. on.
2: So Felipe, is there anything else you think our audience can benefit from that you can share in a, say, a closing statement?
0: This is a real problem, and moving environment full of digital economies are actually shaping the way we think and interact with the society. Everything is related to the use of our smartphone. We move using it, we book a restaurant, or we book an appointment with the doctor. And trying to understand the way all those decisions are made is fairly important. At least this research area is trying to at least set up some baseline about what are those decisions and how they affect the future outcomes. This is a very moving environment. And many people from different areas are actually trying to do the same, trying to understand why this business is successful, why it's not. I have no idea what the future is bringing to us, But I'm pretty excited that there are many research opportunities along the way.
1: Thank you for taking the time, Felipe, to answer the questions Álvaro and I had. Certainly, we asked you a lot of questions, but I'm sure that there is something that you wish people would have asked you more often. What is that question?
0: I wish people would ask me more often the question about how my methods can be applicable, this goes from both sides, from both academic industry. Academies are going to be more interested on in the techniques I've used, although there are so many alternatives to describe a particular phenomenon. But choosing one actually goes to one of the key questions that I, I wanted to tackle, so efficiency versus optimality. From the perspective of the industry, is why this is the result that I really interested in, why this is relevant to my industry. And that's a more difficult question itself. They need to understand what are their needs, and sometimes they don't even know what they are their needs. That's probably the most complicated problem when you deal with industries. They have some expectations, and they don't really know how to word it. I would like to improve myself. That's something very general. But how that can be achieved, that's very difficult.
1: Thank you for listening until the end of this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did.
2: Customer choice models and how our capabilities as researchers and practitioners aid better decision-making is an active and vibrating area of research, ranging anywhere from crafting prediction models to solving the diverse optimization problems associated with them and including the complexity of adding business insight into the proposed solutions as incentives or constraints. In this academic series, we will continue showcasing techniques, researchers, and industry experts who will tell us a bit more on how this type of technical developments are tightly coupled with our daily experiences, in multiple ways that we don't necessarily think about on a daily basis. Thanks for listening, and until the next time.